So at that time, Jesus prayed this prayer. O oh, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, thank you for hiding these things from those who think themselves wise and clever and for revealing them to be childlike. Hmm. Yes, Father, it pleased you to do it this way. May, my Father has entrusted everything to me. No one truly knows the Son except the Father, and no one truly knows the Father except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then Jesus said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you is light. Thank you, Barry. May God bless the reading of God's Word. Last week, I mentioned a book by Mike Iaconelli called Messy Spirituality, God's Annoying Love for Imperfect People. And in the book, Iaconelli shares an interaction between Charlie Brown and Lucy Van Pelt. Life is like a deck chair, Charlie Brown, Lucy said. On the cruise ship of life, some people place their deck chair at the rear of the ship so they can see where they've been, and others place their deck chair at the front of the ship so they can see where they're going. Which way is your deck chair facing, Charlie Brown? Without hesitation, Charlie Brown glumly answers, I can't even get my deck chair unfolded. (laughs) Charlie Brown's situation, I think, sums up well the way many people feel about life and about faith. Inadequate, incompetent, failing. Everyone else seems to have it figured out. They've been on the deck enjoying the sun. They've been on the deck enjoying the view for hours, and I can't even get this stupid deck chair unfolded. Some of us have been at this a long time, and yet we find ourselves struggling with the same things we've struggled with for 10, 15, or 20 years. Can't get this thing figured out. It is true, praise God that the Spirit of God and Jesus renews us and changes us. But day to day, the reality just seems like in me there is a sinner, and in me there is a saint, and the two do not get along very well. Some days, by the Spirit's guidance, praise God, the saint wins out, but then there are other days when it goes the other way, and on those days, I am so thankful that Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's why this invitation that Barry read for us from the words of Jesus, this invitation is so compelling and appealing. Come to me, Jesus says, if you're weary and burdened. I'm gentle and humble of heart. I'll give you rest for your souls. Here is one who is gentle whose heart is humble, and he offers us rest. Our souls are tired, and rest is what is offered. And Jesus tells us that his teachings and his ways 
are easy and light to carry. And Jesus uses this imagery of a yoke. Put my yoke on you, he says. That large wooden tool that would be used to hook oxens together, to double the work in the field. And maybe if you had a a wise, old, experienced ox and a young, wandering ox, you put them together and, and, and maybe the young one would learn some things from the elder. And that's what Jesus has in mind here. Why not hook yourself up to my yoke, Jesus says. Follow me around for a while. I'll teach you a few things. And so some of them, they yoke up with Jesus. They follow him around. What do they see? What does someone in Jesus' day learn from him as they follow him? Much can be said about this, of course. There were the run-ins with the Pharisees, the incredible catches of fish, miracles, early morning prayer times, and this amazing grace and deep compassion. But there are also these stories he tells. These stories, there's so many of them, where these stories are about God and God's kingdom, but they're um, viewed uh, through the lens of everyday things and everyday people. God is like a, a woman, relentlessly looking for a lost coin, all over the house, methodical, flicks on every light, grabs the broom, no table left unturned. God is like a shepherd whose sheep wanders away. And so the shepherd hurries away to find the lost little sheep, leaving behind 99 other sheep. He leaves them behind in the open country, Jesus tells us. Isn't that a little irresponsible? Yet off he goes, scurrying away to find the naughty little sheep. And then she finds the coin, and he finds the sheep. And what do they do then? You naughty little sheep, you naughty little sheep. I'm putting you in a timeout. How could I lose a coin? How dumb of me, how dumb. Maybe these are the things that happen in some stories, but not in Jesus' versions of the story. Remember what happens in Jesus' story? Boop, 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 boop. Hello, it's me. You're never going to guess what happened to me today. I lost one of my coins. I know I've only got 10. I looked for it all day. House is completely upside down right now. But I found it. Hmm? Oh, it was in the couch. Anyway, I see this thing, and I'm just overcome with happiness. And so I've decided to throw a huge party. I mean, this party's going to be just unbelievable. Oh, my goodness, I'm inviting everybody, and I want you to be there. What happens in this story? Boop, 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 boop. Hey, man, it's me. Good, good. So you know my one sheep? You know the one sheep? She's always wandering off. I'm not sure. Curiosity, maybe. Boredom. She kind of does her own thing. I sort of like that about her. Yeah, anyway, so she runs off again today. And and this time, it was quite a long time. and, And I went after her. I had to leave all the other ones behind. I know. But I found her. She was next to a brook. Anyway, when I saw her, I was so happy. I bent down. I put her on my shoulders. 
And as I'm walking back to the others, I thought to myself, I'm so happy. I'm throwing a party. I mean, I found my sheep. I invited everybody, all my neighbors, all my friends. I want you to be there. I want everyone to be there. I found her. That's what happens. Last week I asked if our theology is solid enough that we can picture God seated at a banquet celebrating us. The picture may seem uh, strange, maybe even irreverent, but one can hardly get into any of the New Testament Gospels very long before Jesus himself is at a party showing compassion acceptance, forgiveness of sins, pointing out true repentance and honest love. The thing is, the parties are filled with the wrong people. Who let them in? Who let us in? Well, Jesus did. Take Zacchaeus. To many, he's a dirty, rotten scoundrel, a sinner. That's what they called him. Jesus called him a son of Abraham. Or take the woman washing Jesus' feet with her hair at the party. Uh, People there said Jesus shouldn't even be seen with her because of the things she's done. But Jesus says she's outshining everyone's hospitality and the whole party because her love is deeper than any other's because she understands what it means to be forgiven. Jesus calls a Peter who rejected him. Jesus calls a Judas who would betray him. Jesus calls a group of people who in his most dire hour of need, they fall asleep on him. Yet not one of them was rejected. Not one was denied by Jesus. No one is kicked out of the group by Jesus. Because Jesus is gentle and he's humble of heart and he offers rest. Each one of those disciples, each one of those men was changed. Yep. But not before devastating failings. After following him for a time. Like a bunch of lost coins, lost sheep, lost children, they're sought, they're found, and they're restored again and again and again. Let Jesus unfold the chair. Last week, I urged us to practice um, self-compassion. That we would extend kindness to ourselves. Grace to ourselves. It's a powerful practice, one that is anchored in the character of God himself and anchored in the ministry of Jesus, who time and again, we are told, does things because he's moved to compassion the crippled man, the massive crowds, um, healing of, of children. Moved by compassion, Jesus acted. By self-compassion, once again, I don't mean narcissism. That's something different. I don't mean an overinflated sense of self-importance. I don't even mean self-esteem. By compassion, I mean extending kindness and grace to ourselves in the midst of our human frailty and failings. By self-compassion, I mean extending kindness and grace to ourselves in the midst of human frailty and failings. 
And it's all based on the compassion of Jesus, who loves us as we are, not as we should be. Jesus is gentle and humble. humble. His, his love is unmatched. His compassion is extravagant, reckless, unimaginable. How can it be? And yet there it is. There's a story told by Brennan Manning about a man and a chair in his book, Abba's Child. Manning writes, Once a woman asked me to come and pray with her father who was dying of cancer. And when I arrived, I found the man lying in bed with his head propped up on two pillows. And next to him, next to the bed, was an empty chair. And I assumed that the old fella had been informed of my visit and prepared the chair for me. I guess you were expecting me, I said to him. No, who are you? Well, I'm the new associate at your parish, I replied. And when I saw the empty chair, I I figured uh, you put it there for me like you knew I was coming. Oh, yeah, the chair, the man said. Would you mind closing the door? Puzzled, I shut the door. I've never told anyone this, not even my daughter, said the man. But all my life, I've never known how to pray. And at the church, I used to hear the pastor talk about prayer, but it always went right over my head. And I abandoned any attempt at prayer that I would pray. I just gave up, didn't understand it. Until one day, about four years ago, my best friend said to me, Joe, prayer is as simple as having a conversation with Jesus. And here's what I suggest you do. Sit down on a chair, and next to you, place an empty chair in front of you, and in faith, see Jesus in the chair. It's not spooky, because Jesus promised that he'd be with us always, even to the end of the age. And then just speak with him and talk with him and listen to him the same way I'm talking with you now. So I tried it, sat in a chair, put an empty chair in front of me, and in faith saw Jesus sitting in the chair. I talked with him, and I listened. And I liked it so much that I do it a couple of hours every day now. I'm, I'm careful, though. If my daughter sees me talking to an empty chair, she'll send me away somewhere. I was deeply moved by this man's story, and I encouraged him to continue on this journey, and I I prayed with him. I anointed him with oil, and then I returned to the church. Two nights later, the daughter called me to tell me that her dad had died that afternoon. Did he seem to die in peace, I asked her. Yes, but there was something strange about it. In fact, beyond strange, kind of weird, actually. Apparently, just before Dad died, he leaned over and he rested his head on the chair beside him. I sure hope that all of us might come to know Jesus in this way and experience the depths of his great compassion for us, his great love for us, because he loves us. He loves us wherever we are. He loves us 
wherever we are. And he showers us with his mercy and his compassion and his grace. Might we all come to know this Jesus. Would you pray with me? Lord, I, I wonder if, if there might be someone who hears this right now, maybe um, who's feeling far from you and needs to be reminded that you seek them and needs to be reminded that you love them and maybe your Holy Spirit would remind them of your great compassions that are new every day, every morning. And you do not get tired of us. And I wonder, Lord, if, if someone might be hearing these words of you, Lord Jesus, saying, if you're tired and worn out, come to me. I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart and I'll give you rest. And I pray that your Holy Spirit might give this person courage to do just that, to hand their life over to you and come to know Jesus through the Holy Spirit. I pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.